Welcome to Generation Tech. I'm Todd Brinker. I am joined by my dad, Jack. How are you today? I'm doing great. Good to hear your voice. Likewise. So, uh, lots of techie stuff going on. Well, yeah. The first thing I noticed when I popped open my uh, thing this morning is the parlor's back online. Yeah, I saw that uh, they, they're not saying who's hosting them, and I, I suspect whoever's hosting them doesn't want to announce it loudly either. But, you know, you can do a little IP tracing and figure it out, um, and I'm sure we'll find out who it is before too much longer. Um, oh. It's going to be a little ironical if it's like a foreign entity, right? Some company based in some somewhere <laughs> outside the country. You have to go outside the country in order to have free speech. Yeah, uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, I... Uh... Uh, I, I had been on Parler, and uh, the day they dropped it, about an hour after they dropped it, I tried to get on, and I got frustrated, and I just deleted the program. So now I can't even get it, so I can't get back on. <laughs> yeah, Apple's well, you can not... use their – yeah, you can go to the web browser, though. Just go to Parler.com. Yeah, I'm sure. So, so. I mean, But, yeah, you won't be able to have the, their, their app. Um, but you know you can you can save a bookmark as an app on your screen too, so you can just use your web browser. Yeah, I mean their app was basically just a customized web browser that went to one address anyway. So I mean it wasn't that. Yeah. You know, there wasn't anything too tricky. I mean it's most people it'll it'll stop people because a lot of people don't know how to do that, how to go and save their bookmark at, on their desktop. But yeah. um, but it's not that hard. Yeah, it works yeah. well. Mm-hmm. Yep, you can't tell. No, in fact, much remember when the iPhone was different. launched, that's what Steve Jobs said. There was no App Store. App Store came the next year. And so yeah. for the first year, if you wanted apps, they were all web apps. And that's what he said. He said, oh, just use web apps. They're great. Yeah. And everybody went, huh? Because they weren't that great then. But now they right. are. I mean, in fact, that's where a lot of development is going. It's like, don't yeah. build it for any platform. Just build it on the web and you can access it. You know, if you want to build a customized. Uh, web browser that just points to your address so that you have a air quotes app on an app store then you can do that but uh but, but pretty uh, soon your pretty soon your device gets cluttered with apps you know instead of a yeah yeah general one yeah, yeah. and i think everybody has that problem in fact that's the most recent version of the operating system on ios now uh, only gives you a certain number of pages, and then it just gives you this big collection, right? The the app library. It just says, well, here's the ones that you've used recently, and if it's not one of those, then here they are, and we'll just group them for you by categories that we think make sense. Right. So you can find them, which, you know, actually isn't bad. I almost wish that you could say, okay, I like the app library. Just make that my homepage. But you can't. You I, still yeah, have to scroll it's so over far. To it. It's so far back. I hadn't really used it. I mean, I have pages of stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah, and that's I mean, the problem. Is it's like I can't. You know, it's there. It makes life easy. They, and they need it's a, interesting. They need a. They need a library button on the home screen. It's interesting. Yeah, I agree. On the library page, if you take it, if you put your finger in like an empty space and just drag down, you get an an alphabetical listing of all of your apps. And a little like Rolodex thing along the side, so that you get the whole alphabet. And you can quickly scroll to whatever letter you want. So you want to find yeah. an app and you know the name of it. It's real quick. Yeah. But you have to flip back to the library page first, and then, and then do the little pull down thing to get the the thing. You know, so it's like getting to it's not hard. It is hard. 
So yeah, I don't know. Seems to me like they could implement that more, uh, in a more friendly way, you know, or allow people to use it more. Like you said, give them a button or allow me to make it my my instead of the last page, make it my first page or my second page. I should be able to change its order or something. Yep. Anyway, uh, another thing that popped up this morning or a few days ago, I guess, is the uh, uh, prototype for foldable phones, iPhones. Yeah, Apple is maybe going to get on that that bandwagon. We'll see if they actually do it. You know, Apple does patents and tests lots of different things, and a whole bunch of it we never, ever actually see as products. Yeah. Um, But every once in a while, something they're doing leaks out, right? Yeah. I figured for um, expandable screens and stuff that uh, this is a much more sensible way to go than the stretch screen concepts, which uh, I haven't had my hands on them yet, but what they sound like is that they're much more fragile. You know, you've got this thin sheet of something yeah, that's it un- pulling it out. Unrolls. Of, 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 <laughs> yeah, unrolls. Yeah, uh, that, that's just, uh, uh, it's just too vulnerable. You know, reliability yeah. got to be an well, issue there. Well, not even reliability in my mind, but it's just like how you, you, you're then going to touch and swipe and screen on something that is like floppy, like a right. piece of paper. That that right. See, the, it, the ergonomics it, it, is, are poor. Right. As, as opposed to a folding phone. Now, maybe right in that little crease there where it's uh, folded, you know, uh, that might have a tendency to be a spongy area or something. Who knows? But probably that's the main thing. Uh, you know, it's uh, as it yeah. says on the article here, it's reportedly a mostly invisible hinge. Now, what mostly invisible means, I'm not mm-hmm. quite certain, but it, that's just from an appearance standpoint. Then what's it feel like, you know? Exactly. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's been the issue with all of the folding phones. You know, I mean, Samsung introduced it and then famously pulled it off the market for almost a year while they then went and you know, played with it some yeah. more to get it right. And they now sell it, but it's a $2,000 phone. And and it's literally like taking two phones and sticking them together. So it's almost twice as thick as the phone that you have. And so yeah. you look at that and you go, eh. you know, <laughs> I mean, for, for some people in certain instances where you really need that larger screen for certain things, it makes sense. But I think it's going to be a niche thing. I think there's a lot of people who look at that and go, yeah, I, I don't need that. And I don't want my phone to be any bigger and bulkier and heavier than it already is. In fact, I think there's already been some um, pushback away from the Max phones to people saying, that's just gotten too big. I just want a regular size phone because the regular size phones are what the Max phone was, you know, a couple generations back. They've all grown. And so at some you point, say, what, like, this you is... mean iPhone, not Mac phone. I said Max, M-A-X as opposed to the standard oh, Mac, iPhone, Max. there's the Max oh, I phones. See. I got you. And the Max phones are the, you know, the larger versions of the right. of your right. phone. And those were really, you know, big for a while. I mean, not physically big, but they were, you know, big sellers for a while. And I think they've faded a little bit. More and more people are going like, those are just too big. It's too heavy in my pocket. I'm tired of lunking that thing around. Well, um, I think it's mostly women or somebody with a purse or some some other place to carry it, you know. Uh or, yeah, or well, young the, the, kids who don't give a rat's, you know, they'll stick it in their back pocket even. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> then they it. sit on it and break the screen, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's lots of markets, but I'm just saying that the the you know the number one selling phones tend to be the standard size phones. But if you look at the standard size phone, it's the size of the old Max phone. 
You know, like if I, yeah. I, I have an iPhone 6S uh, or 6 Max, which is the, mm-hmm. the big version of the iPhone 6. It's almost the same exact size as just the regular iPhone 11. Yeah. And and so the regular phone is now what the Max used to be, and the Max is even bigger. It's And it's like, that's too big, you know? Yeah. Well, and in fact, there's not even a version that's smaller unless you go back to old, you know, fingerprint technology and stuff, which has some advantages these days, frankly. Yeah, yeah. I I think the, the, almost the smallest phone you can make is the best uh, choice, and uh, ultimately, uh, there's a lot of potential in glasses. I mean, that's a display that you know can look like a gigantic display uh, yeah. screen, whatever you want. So I'm think you know I don't we're nowhere near there yet, but uh, just looking out to the future, uh, why not glasses? Now it might mean that then people who don't normally wear glasses will have to buy a pair of glasses and wear them if they're going to use yeah. their phone. But so that that yeah. I understand that. But yeah, uh, but if they'll sell like an accessory, so you don't have to have the glasses. But there's right. you know some advantages, and if it works for you, use that accessory. If it doesn't, then don't. It'll be like buying yeah. the watch, right? If it works right. for you, get it. If it doesn't, then don't. And and don't try to put all the electronics in the glasses. You just have some uh, yeah. a high high enough frequency transmitter uh, to and you know between the phone and the glasses that uh, yeah. you know, all the your smart personal technology the hub. Your phone your phone won't be a phone anymore. It's now your personal technology hub. Your your personal area network, right? And yeah, so fact- it. it in fact, it's always made sense that even your phone now is as powerful as they're getting or are uh, that fundamentally you could you could have computers without any guts in them and just be a display screen and a keyboard device that or uh, a widget that attaches to your phone. Yeah. Samsung's you know? actually been selling that for a while. They have a dock and a keyboard and a mouse and a monitor. And you dock your phone into it, and now you use your phone as your desktop computer. And that way you keep everything with you. When, you're, when you leave, you pick up your phone, and your computer comes with you. All your data is stored there and, yeah. and or up in the cloud. Yeah, and but you see, I'm thinking that that now really becomes feasible with the, uh, with the new Apple Silicon. Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, you, even, of course, the phone has always been Apple Silicon anyway, but... <clears throat> They're obviously going to large-scale systems now, so they could put more on it and uh, and make it, you know, better performance for these other kinds of things. I agree. You know, other, I, like I said, Samsung's been doing it for a while, but they've never really pushed it and marketed it. I would like to see it implemented with Apple because they, they would do it better. And the fact that they have um, uh, unified their underlying architecture now makes it even simpler for them to do that. I mean... The, the the processor that's in the phone right now can run Mac OS, flat out right. can and has and does, um, and so, you know, all that's stopping them is making sure that it has enough memory and storage to put the other operating system on there and just say, well, when it's in the dock, that's the operating system that pops up, and have you know unified storage place so that your your folders in the Files app are accessible via iOS or via Mac OS. And yeah. you're presented and, with whichever operating system, depending on which what your uh, um, uh, interface is to it, right? If you're using right. a, a mouse, a keyboard, and a screen, you get Mac OS. And if you're using a touch screen, you get iOS. Absolutely. Yeah. So, anyway. Come on, Apple. 
fun to dream, but you know, they, from a business standpoint, they will, they got to think about how, how they make money, and they're, they'll stretch this all out. And if if they get into the car business and other things, so they're not just dependent on these devices, then they might not mind having the lowest lower cost devices. Probably never in the lowest cost, but they can give you a lot more for your buck. You know? Yeah. That's ultimately what it comes down to. Uh, but uh, it, from a you know with since Apple is fundamentally an eco uh, uh, friendly company. They always pride themselves on how uh, they don't affect the uh, the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, working uh, towards a carbon then, neutral then, footprint. Then they sh- they shouldn't be cranking out four products when one product with just some accessories will will do the same thing. Yeah, you know, except you'll have to buy the power supply separately. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Well, the power supply these days are always batteries, anyway. So you know, it's just yeah. No, but the, the wall, <laughs> the wall wart thing that you plug in—that's no longer included in the phones. You know, right? So if you buy a phone and you don't, have, it's funny. They give you a cable, and it's USB-C to Lightning, and they say mm-hmm. we're not giving you the the little wall things because we've been giving those to you for years, and everybody has them. And they're right; most people do have a bunch of them, but the ones they have are all USB-A because that's what we have. So mm-hmm. why are you giving us a cable that won't plug into them? So now we have to buy an adapter to use the existing <laughs> wall warts. Oh, we have to go buy another wall wart, which means we've saved nothing for the environment. Yep, yep. So their, their, their thinking was kind of stupid in my mind. Either stick a cable in there for both an A and a C so that you can use it with the power supplies you have, or just give you the dumb power supply. Yeah. You know, make it optional. Say we won't yeah. put it in the box, but if you want it, just check this box and we'll send it along. You know, but no, they're charging you ten bucks for it. Yeah. So anyway, uh, that's a it's a pretty thinly disguised way to just kick their revenue. I, up. I, I guess I, I haven't read any good summaries on the uh, uh, big show that was just over. Have you? Yeah, CES. Um, there's some out there, you know, I mean, there wasn't anything that I saw that was like, wow, how did I miss that kind of stuff? You know, they talk about the LG, you know, pull out, uh, floppy phone. Um, uh, there was some, um, uh, let's see, where were some of the other things that were, that was talked about? Uh, here it is. Okay. So best of CES, uh, according to, oh shoot, that's not what I wanted. I, I got a video. I hate it when you click on something. Instead of getting an article, you get a video. Um, uh, they, ought to lab- they ought to label the things that, you know. Well, they do, but it's too it's subtle. So that's the problem. There's a little, there's a little like, play button next to it, you know, the little triangle, so that yeah. I can see that it's a video. But, uh, yeah, it's like, that. I need something more obvious to me. How about, give me a box that says, don't give me any dang videos. I don't want them. I want to read it. I want words in front of me. Um, Cadillac inv- in, in, uh, showed off a flying car, which is basically a giant drone with you know four props on, on four corners and a chair yeah. in the middle. And I looked at that and went, yeah, it's a cool idea, but I just don't know how that actually works. Plus, because it flies, you know they're going to have to get the FAA involved, and suddenly it's going to be $100,000 just because the FAA makes you certify you know, 
the toothpaste you used in the morning before you flew, that kind of thing. Um, <laughs> so, uh, let's see. Um, top best of CES. Okay, here's gadgets. Uh, Samsung bot. I'll share you the share the link with you. Uh, all right, there's the link. So they got a Samsung bot, robotic care assistant. Uses AI to understand and respond to your behavior. It can actually learn your schedule and send you reminders throughout the day. So essentially, it's a um, uh, an Amazon Alexa type of device, except that it's stuck on top of uh, a um, uh, the one of those robotic vacuums kind of things, so that it can move around the house and follow you and talk to you and tell you stuff. Mm. And it's got a screen, so you could pop up, so you could do like virtual presence. So like, if, I, w- if I you wonder and I how were those, talking. You could. I wonder how those robotic vacuums are selling compared to others. Does do you really mm-hmm. think that appeals to people? I have one I mean, and I love it. You do. Yes. Well, well. See, what I was wondering is, is that there's all kinds of carpets and and chairs and stuff. It could easily get stuck under my table and never find its way out. Um, you'd be surprised <laughs> at how well it goes around and gets between chairs and dining room chairs and tables and things like that. And if it hits a spot that it can't get go forward, it just backs up, comes out of it, and uh, and goes back out the way it came in. And uh, so, I mean, it does. It's not perfect. And the ones that are the most selling ones are the ones uh sold by um uh, uh what's the name of the company um uh, uh irobot is the company that sells them and they yeah. and and theirs they just kind of bounce off the walls it's like a uh, the roombas they they just, they randomly bounce around the room and they seem to get everything but it just seems it bothers me um, a while back, I had won a uh, a Neato Vac by a company that makes the Neato vacuums, and that one would like drive around the perimeter twice, once against the wall, and then once uh, like six inches out from the wall, and then it would go back and forth in perfect lines, like it was you know mowing or something in a room, yeah. going around any tables or things as it needed, and that one seemed to more clearly get everything, but the vacuum didn't last very long; it died. Mm. Oh, you so had one? Yeah, I had a Neato one that I won as a as a prize in some drawing, and uh, and then when that one died, I bought a um, a, the, a cheap Roomba one at Sam's Club, and uh, and the Roomba one seems to has lasted a lot longer. It's more hardy, but it it also when you watch it, it doesn't seem to have any, it bounces around with no rhyme or reason. It just runs in an area for a certain amount of time, mm. and it assumes that it'll zigzag enough to cover everything at that point. And it seems to do it. It just it's a little disconcerting when you're watching it. Uh, but it's nice because you know I can use my phone to program it and say, I want you to you know vacuum three times a week, and it vacuums in the middle of the night while we're sleeping. Which at first sounded like a great idea, but at one o'clock I hear things going kunk kunk, you know, as it runs into tables and stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. You know that you get used to that, but you hear hearing things going bump in the night used to wake me up all the time. So maybe oh, by the way, it's not the I'm best just, time to vacuum. I know I'm jumping all over the place, but I just uh, a headline that I like. Uh, I just glanced at next gen 14 and 16 inch MacBook Pros to return MagSafe charging this year. 
I had read some predictions on that way, too. And, of course, we're talking predictions, so we don't know in reality what well, that means. This, and it doesn't, this doesn't mean that they were necessarily the same MagSafe that was was right. previously right. there. It could be something closer to what the phone does, you know, have a little flat disc that sticks on the back or something. Yeah. Yeah. But but nevertheless, it uh, it sounds appealing. Yeah, you know? I think the MagSafe is a good idea, and it was a mistake for them to leave it. But um, I understand them wanting to standardize on USB-C. But uh, what they should do is they should open up and, and press for a USB standard, USB-C standard that attaches via magnets and just say, this is now the standard, so that way it's standardized and let everybody do it. Maybe it'll catch on. But um, who knows? Apple doesn't. Doesn't it's weird because Apple's funny about that. Some things they're like, Yeah, we're gonna do the standard, everybody does the standard, you know. Mm-hmm. And then in other well, things, they're like, Nope, this un- is us pri- pri- proprietary until, until they find a reason that they don't want to, <laughs> right, right? Exactly, yeah. It's like we'll do we, we're all about standards right up until we're not, yeah, you know, okay, <laughs> that's that's weird, but okay, yeah. It's um, the the I, I like the idea of. The, from what I've understood is the design is they're talking about a design that imagine like you took uh, two of the iPad Pros with the flat edges and put a keyboard on one and the other is the screen and then they fold together with a hinge so it's going to have flat sides and look more like an iPad Pro um, which I think is kind of an interesting look for you know and do something different just design wise with the laptop um, but the idea that they're going to not only bring back uh, MagSafe but I also understand that they're going to put some of the ports back on the side. Like a lot of people were complaining about losing the SD card port and mm. uh, particularly pro users. And if this is supposedly their pro max pro users, a lot of photographers use max out in the field and they want to dump their memory card so They can put it back in their camera and continue taking pictures. And, you know, then you had, you know, with the current line of computers, you've got to find the dongle and plug it in and then you can download your pictures. And just one more thing to lose, you know? Yeah. Having a bunch well, of dongles is not but, the but, answer. But, but, but there are a lot of alternatives. Why does it have to be a computer? There are lots of little devices you can offload right into a hard drive, you know? Yeah. Just where you really yeah. want it. Well, and, not necessarily because then you're going to take it off that hard drive and load it into something else because you usually also want to sync it up to a cloud. And most photographers uh, use some sort of photo management software that they'll want to then go in and do some sorting and some quick, easy retouching with. Um, you know, I mean, there's, there's, they process, there's a lot of post photo production process that they need to deal with. And that's ultimately going to happen on a computer. Um, and a lot of them use Mac laptops. So why not make that device, the device that does everything for them instead of making them jump through hoops just to get their stuff on that device. Yeah. So You know, and and I know there are some that are even saying you know they use uh, uh, iPad Pros now, you know, because there's a lot of the the, the photo management softwares there, um, you know, and you just have to use your finger and use a different interface. But you know, you get used to whatever you get used to. But right. uh, you know, with the iPad, you definitely have to bring a dongle because there's no extra ports of any kind. So you have to have some sort of dongle that plugs in and allows it to interface to your to your uh, camera. You know. 
and whether you pull out the memory card. Traditionally, a lot of photographers would pull the memory card out and stick it into their computer and then read the memory card to get all their photos. But the reason they did that was because they could take a cable and attach it directly to their camera. But the camera manufacturers made the interface so dang slow, they were slow in supporting the latest technologies, that it would read the photos in like at a quarter of the speed that you could get it if you just pulled the memory card out and read it directly into the device. I mean, if the mm-hmm. camera manufacturers would use, you know, the latest in, you know, USB 4 interface on the camera, then you don't even have to pull the memory card out. But. Yeah. Well, uh, you, 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 we're, you're talking, in, when you talk about cameras, mostly about mechanical uh, connections. And I, I think that everybody ought to get on board on some of the RF uh, systems. There's enough out there and enough spectrum that they're opening up that they ought to all just get on a something fairly fast but short short distance for a whole lot of things. Mm-hmm. You know, like Bluetooth yeah. is is great. It just needs to go faster. I mean, like anything, right. you know. Yeah. Well, and you know, so you're saying like support air share, so that you could just air share directly from your camera to the to your whatever your device is. <clears throat> um, yeah. I mean, frankly, I, I could see them at some point also saying, you know, hey, why not just have the camera attached right into 5G? Most of the cameras have touch screens on the back of them, so you have an interface that you can work with and and just send it right mm-hmm. straight to the cloud, and then you can go pick it up off of whatever di- device you want. And, yeah, and every, everybody should be moving away from these mechanical connections. That's just yeah. too, too uh, 20th century, I guess, or... <laughs> Yeah. I mean, we're past the 21st century now. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a possibility, you know. But then, you know, you have another device that you have to then pay to have attached to the cell network if you go straight to, like, a, a you know, a LTE or 5G connection, um, which is great. I mean, it'll work, but it's just, you know, an additional cost or fee that you yeah. have to pay to have that well, connectivity. Well, yeah. yeah, certain things like that, you don't want to go through phone companies. That's, that's getting yeah. too complicated. You want, the, like I said, a yeah. short... Uh, range but fast system whatever that yeah. is and, yeah uh, so there's there's a number of sort of general categories of of rf connections mm-hmm. that uh make sense for yeah. you know certain most things. most professional level cameras from companies like uh nikon and canon and sony have for a at least the last three or four years um, had uh, Wi-Fi connections built into them. They can act as a Wi-Fi server, and so you can attach your computer mm-hmm. to your phone, and then you can transfer stuff that way. It's still not as fast as just connecting a cable or even, like I said, better, just pull the memory card out and stick it directly into the computer. So you can take the stored ca- the stored video and feed it directly into the device you want to copy it to. Yeah. And that's a lot faster. And you don't have to worry about any you know interference of any kind, whereas wireless, there's always the chance of something interfering with the connection or your device is getting a little too far apart, um, you know, or if you're moving them that the antennas somehow didn't align right and you drop some bits. And so, you know, I mean, it's just, it, it, it'll get there. Yeah. Thus well, but far, you see, what, I, you know, what I'm envisioning is something like your, your connection for your power today uh, to, to be wireless power connection that just snaps onto your phone. You could have that sort of kind of thing uh, that's uh, maybe even still a wired connection, but it's wireless, except it, 
in the sense that you don't have to have any holes in your computer or slots or any of that. Right. And, uh, yeah, you, you put can, something you right up have... against somehow some uh, real real close. Yeah, way magnetic of... connection type of thing where it clicks in and holds it there, and that that works. Yeah, I think that a lot of the connectors, like I said, I would like to see a a a standardized magnetic USB C type of, of connector. Or not USB C, we'll call it USB D, but it now <laughs> supports USB four protocol. It's confusing because USB is both a protocol on the wire and the type of connector. So yeah. so have a USB D magnetic connector that supports USB four, which encompasses both Thunderbolt and USB high speed. That's what I want. You know, you know what this really looks like? It looks like uh, back in the olden days, the uh, uh, Federal Communication Commission had a big management for the whole country, you know, where they would manage the frequency spectrum and, and here's how we're going to do business and here's our plan to migrate to the future and all that. <clears throat> and uh, I don't know if they're even around anymore. Maybe they are, but they're really not doing anything. But somebody, you know, uh, it's the problem is is we we've got industry imbalance in terms of power. Like you know, just a few companies at the top say, "I decide what the hell I want to do," you know, and they don't want the government involved. But the whole everybody would be better off if there was some kind of a, of uh, evolving plan here, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But 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 the problem with the government it being involved is it, it with and standards in general are that technology moves on and what do you do? Yeah, they pick the wrong standard and so, and they stick with it forever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the rest so, of the world's going. You know, yeah, we we moved on from that like ten years ago. But okay. Yeah. I know but, what you uh, mean though. You it, know, there's it, standard organizations out there like you know the. The uh, IEEE and the uh, you know and and they try to say, let's all coalesce around some basic standards to make things work, um, and mm-hmm. sometimes they're more successful than others. But yeah, you know, there's always going to be, the, and and I think you'd want this that you know individual companies have the the right and very often take the opportunity to to embrace something different in order to differentiate their product. And sometimes it's better. Sometimes it's not, you know, I mean, yeah, I, in the early days of computers, uh, you know, we, you and I were, had, you know, home built PCs at one point. And, uh, you know, at that time, Apple was using SCSI interface to their, to their hard drives. And we used, uh, you know, a, uh, an RLL card or, a M, what was it? An M something card. I can't remember the other, other, acronym but uh run length limited was the rll um right you know it's just a it was a different interface it was much cheaper interface and worked fine but the scuzzy interface had the advantage of being able to plug in daisy chaining multiple devices so you could have multiple things hanging off that scuzzy interface it was more of a universal interface because you would have your printer and and so apple said well we want this one interface that plugs into printers and plugs into hard drives and plugs into you know other peripherals Whereas yeah. the PC had a, a parallel port for the printer and, a, a, <laughs> you know, an RLL card for the video and everything was different and discreet. So, you know, right. It's what makes the world go round. Everything's but a little you, different. USB has become, I mean, that was 
then USB-A is still all over the place, you know? Yep. That was Universal that was serial bus. Re real successful standard, you know? Yeah. But by, by the same token, uh, you know, people are moving on, but they're making backward compatible stuff. You know, maybe it's an adapter to, to maintain that because once you get something like that that works well, like for printers and, and uh, all kinds of little uh, adapt, you know, things that you want to plug in, you, uh, what, what was I trying to think of? Disk drive, lots of disk drives used it, mm -hmm. stuff. Uh, and, and, uh, there, there are some people with disk drives that says, oh, that's not fast enough for the latest disk drive. So they move on to something else like USB-C, some of those standards. So it's even an evolving standard, but it's usually got some yeah. backward compatible features. Uh, the problem with backward compatibility is uh, uh, Microsoft is fully coming to realize, uh, and I think very quickly in the next number of years, is maintaining uh, competitiveness if the hardware moves on without them, yeah. you know, with the, yeah. the software. Uh, and so uh, they've got to be seriously worried about that because it's the bulk of their business. Yeah. Well, you, you know, know, they recently released a an emulation uh, layer for their uh for arm based windows computers to allow yeah. them to run um uh intel based applications something similar to the um to the uh, rosetta uh yeah translation layer well, that's on the mac um i've read a, one review of it was unimpressed but uh uh, they're they're, they're but, not nearly as keen with that as apple apple apple's been doing it for years so right. they've got some successful uh, uh, years in the past of how to yeah, do it. Practice do doing well. it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, and it's been in their DNA from previous, you know, CPU changes. I mean, this is the right. one that's out there now is Rosetta version 2 because back when they switched from uh, PowerPC to Intel, they had Rosetta that allowed you to run PowerPC apps on an Intel computer for a while. And, right. And... Uh, so this is something that has been important for them for a long period of time. Um, yeah, so, I mean, we'll see if, uh, if uh, you know, Windows is able to do that successfully. I think that no matter which it is, whether it be, you know, Apple's implementation or Windows, both companies see it as a transitional stopgap. It's not something that they intend to be there forever. That, that, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Um, but that's easier done for, for Apple, right, because they can transition all their hardware pretty quickly. Whereas right. Apple doesn't control all the hardware for Windows, so they're going to have to support that transition much longer. I see they have a new CEO at Intel. I'm wondering what his ideas and thoughts are. Yeah. So How to save a company that just got made irrelevant. Yeah. That, that's a tough time to come into a company. So. Yeah. But you never know. If he's, if he's smart, he find a way i mean they still have yeah. other customers and will for a long time but oh absolutely uh, and you know they may have some some uh you know development going well, on in some corner of the company that hasn't been made public through the light of day yet that he's going to pull out of a hat and go hey look what we got and well, being a, a chip, lot of people being a chip company you would think that within this year following the apple announcement that they would come out and play their trump card and say look here Apple's got nothing over on us because we have some really fast silicon, you know, uh, do, yeah. doing it some way, you know. Yep. So you never know.
I, they've and and everybody's known low power stuff is really important. I mean, the, they've been trying to address that market, but haven't been very successful. I mean, we've yeah, been. they just haven't. Yeah, you wonder. Well, you know, why are they not? What is it about that architecture that they haven't been able to to? Uh, I get I it think to work. Like somebody explained, there's a real problem with uh, too much success. They uh, was ma were making so much off of their their uh, regular Apple, not Apple, their regular uh, Windows computer, what's called the 386, 86, some kind of architecture, you know, that that became yeah. everything to them. Yeah. And, yeah. and they lost. X86. They X86, they just, yeah. They just call it X86, meaning generic right. you know, Intel. Yeah. Uh, but, um, yeah, you're right. They, they, they basically bet the company on that. And, you know, I don't know how much research was being done internally on alternatives or if they were working on any, um, you know, ways to take that same uh, underlying code and put it into a lower power architecture. But whatever they've done thus far has been unimpressive yeah you know that and they seem to also as a company hit some technical limits in terms of how they can um move to uh you know smaller die sizes and so i read that they're actually outsourcing some of their um uh, actual production to uh the uh what is it taiwan um tmsc taiwan taiwan tmsc Silicon. yeah, yeah. um uh, because they've got better production technology. And so in order to get some of the stuff done that they want to do, they have to have somebody else actually do the producing, uh, which is also a shame because that's an area where they were fairly dominant for a while. Yeah. So anyway, <coughs> interesting times when you, but companies, all, all companies tend to come and go. And if you do, I've, I've read articles on, uh, just the general things you look for in companies that are on the way out, and what they, what they have failed to do, and uh, and uh, it looks like Intel is almost a classic failed company. You know, yeah. in terms, of, and, and where they let their massive success uh, basically drive them into the ground at some point, and uh, and that's that's kind of. What could happen, and probably will at some point, to Apple? You know, just depending on the executive officers and what, and mm -hmm. and how how they drive the company. You know. Yeah, yeah. Will they be able to, uh, you know, make it viable again? And and who knows? Maybe not in the same arena even. But but what their plans are, it remains to be seen. So. You you know, it's still. Uh, uh, amazing too that IBM is still around but they were they had such good technologists but they didn't transition into the uh the low power stuff like others yeah yeah well they IBM had, sort of transitioned out of computers and into consulting yeah yeah well the the other thing is they they had even all the, the whole PC era have always had high performance computers but they just kept working on, you know, their own systems until they ultimately, I don't know if they still open, open or not, because most of these uh, web or cloud centers now are made up of minis or yeah. microcomputers, you know, multiple yeah. microcomputers. 
There, there's a yeah. significant benefit to that when you think about it long term, and that is, is that a piece of it can die, and you just go replace that piece. Whereas when you got big mainframes you know, with a central processor trying to do all the work, yeah. uh, it dies and you're dead. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Now back when I was doing um, newspapers, when I worked for the newspapers for you know was 16, 17 years. Um, all the newspapers seem to use the uh, IBM 360 series computers for their billing and for their circulation departments. That's how we kept track of, of all of the, uh, you know, labels and, and, and printed labels to go out to, uh, to d- for delivery for all the papers to people's houses and, and, uh, and all of the billing for the advertising. Everything was done through that. There was billing systems and stuff built on that platform. All of the production of the newspapers uh, transitioned from using those kinds of computers, whether they were IBM or DEC PDP 11s or whatever, to PC-based stuff in the years that I was there. So everybody, all the, you know, we were using either uh, PCs in the newsroom for a large portion of it, and Macs in the in the art department where they built ads and did you know the there was always an editorial art department as well, and they were always usually Mac as well. So there was mm-hmm. Macs and PCs in the production side of things and uh and then a big IBM on the business side and so you know when you were a support person you had to learn to deal with all of it but uh yeah. but it but it always surprised me that they that that the um the accounting and circulation departments all ran off of this big IBM um i think it was just because it worked they had software that worked it's not like you need to change it often. As long as it continues to work, then we'll just continue to use it. You know, why spend yep. money to, to go buy something else or develop something else? Well, in the um, business world, it, I don't know that uh, PCs ever replaced all of them because there were big accounting systems that were used by major corporations. Uh, I don't know why they would have changed over. You know, how do, how do you yeah. do, or why do you even want What's to do that? What's the point? That? Yeah. Well, and, and you, you know, you make this pitch to your, you know, your, CFO, you know, he's going like, so I'm going to spend X amount of money to move to this smaller computer that does what for me? Right. Nothing. Does the same thing the one you got. I was like, well, right. then I'm not going to change unless this one dies. If this one dies completely and it's more to fix it than it is to buy a new one, then we'll consider buying something new. But, you know, they have to look at the overall cost. They buy a new system. They have to now train everybody to use the new system, regardless of what kind of computer it is. Oh, that's... That that's the biggest part of the problem. Is and that, people. yeah, and that's the, that. Well, and that and transitioning the data, moving data yeah. from one system to another is a non-trivial task. I've had yeah. to do it twice, and it was uh, it was a big deal to make sure that everything translated over right, you know. And then the people knew how to deal with it when it was on the new system. You know, the, those two things happening somewhat simultaneously is always a pain, you know. <laughs> And always somebody has the brilliant idea, well, just in case, we'll run both systems together for a month. And, of course, then all the people who actually do the work look at them like, you're insane. Now I'm going to do twice the amount of work that I normally did, and you're going to pay me the same and give me the same hours, but I have to enter everything in twice into two different systems? No way! (laughs) That never worked. I, I can't tell you how many times I had somebody come and say, well, we'll just do double entry for a while. And double entry works for, like, you know, maybe maybe a day before there's just basically complete revolt and, and everybody goes, this is not going to go on this way. And so, yeah, we drop the axe and say, okay, old systems shut off, use new system, figure yeah. it out. Troubleshoot as you go. 
Uh, <coughs> excuse me. Yes, famous last words, you know. We'll just do it in both. We'll run in parallel, which is real easy for somebody who's at the top to say, real hard for somebody who's at the bottom to do. <laughs> right, right. But you try to explain that to somebody, even if you've had experience doing it. You explain that to the to the CFO or the CEO of the company. It's like, but but that's a really bad idea. <laughs> nah, nah, these people can do it. It's no big deal. They'll just enter it here and enter it there. It's like, you don't yeah. really real, realize what they do, do you? They actually work for eight hours a day sitting there. They're not just like, you know, twiddling their thumbs for half that time waiting for to do something else. <laughs> Believe it or not, these people actually work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That just goes to a basic. That just goes to a basic under, misunderstanding of what the people who work for you do, which is yeah. something that I think a lot of, of especially the higher up managers, tend to to fall wow. to that misthinking. Yeah. I, What's wow? I'm I'm just looking through here and I see this picture and there's this it uh, underneath that says U.S. yacht goes airborne capsizes in lead up race to America's Cup. Well, I can't read. Well, it does say Airbus on the side, but of course this, they always sell out commercials on their devices. But I used to work for a company that was big in the America's Cup, and that's SAIC out of San Diego, because uh-huh. the CEO at the time was a part of the America's Cup uh, board of directors or something, and mm-hmm. uh, he, they always had their own boat yacht in that race. But here's this: there, those are big yachts, by the way. This is thing yeah, is well, way up in meters. the air. It's just flying, you know. It's amazing. It looks, it looks almost like an airplane. So, anyway. yeah, which it's not supposed to be. No. <laughs> yeah, but you know, when you when you get a certain amount of air underneath those things, they become aerodynamic, just like mm-hmm. uh, airplanes. And you got big surfaces, you know. America's Cup it's, Patriot. Yeah. Capsizes in gusty conditions. So anyway, that's pretty pretty good picture somebody got here. <clears throat> yeah, yep, yep, yep. No, it's amazing because they show a picture. I've got a picture of it, like capsized, and and at distance you go, oh, it just looks like a little sailboat. And then you see, oh, those little things on it, those are people. Yeah, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and there's uh, there's uh, looks like about ten or eleven people. You know, in the crew. So you know when it, there, when, when, when you talk about technology, there's another whole area if you're up to speed on it. That and I used to be because being in a company that was involved in it, in it I knew people that were involved in their technology. You know, for the for the boats, and the and uh, that's pretty pretty darn interesting to see what how they do uh, do their job. It's just like uh, any engineering job. You you got to go find out how to do things better and faster and make airfoils, except now they're water foils, and yeah. a lot of testing goes on, and and uh, you develop, develop uh, concepts for how to improve. And uh, uh, it's uh, it's quite a business. And and it's significant, or you wouldn't see each year these new winners coming out, and then they find out about what they did. You know, some mm-hmm. new new tweak, and boy, everybody's got that the next year. You better come out with a new tweak. You know? Yeah. No, I remember for uh, it was a big deal, and the fact they had shrouds around the bottom of the boat so that divers couldn't go see the bottom of the boat at one point a couple years back because yeah. they, were, they were trying to hide what they were doing underwater. They didn't want anybody to see it. 
Yeah. No, and in fact, this the 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 ship that that's flipped over here is called American Magic, and oh. it capsized during a race against Italy's Luna Rosa on the third day of racing, uh, and the they're in the Challenger series, and the winner of which will then be able to take on the defending champions, New Zealand. Uh, wow. But the boat's laying on its side in the water, and you see this big, like, curvy thing coming out from underneath it with a wing on it, and that is like the hydroplane that it rides on, uh, right? you know, to make the thing go through, cut down on the amount of resistance in the water, right? Lifts the boat up. Right, right. Yeah. yeah I, I see it. I see that sticking down out of the bottom of this thing, even though it's in the air, but it's yeah. enough of that. It's long enough that it's still in the water. But, uh, you know, I, I've been on one of those boats uh, that are hydroplane. Uh, yeah, I remember. You, you went out and crewed on a once, well, right? Well, there's this uh, place where you can go over to uh, Victoria Island in Canada. And I think we, we left from a U.S. port and we went over to Victoria uh, overnight. And uh, that was really cool. We stayed in this really old uh, historic hotel. Uh, with an elevator that still had the old uh, uh, sandbag kind of uh, lift on it, and Mom was terrified. She didn't like elevators at all, but there was no other way to get <laughs> to get up. They had, you know, yeah. didn't want to tear the old hotel up to make the steps to go to another floor. But uh, anyway, uh, I had been seen an elevator like that when I was a kid. But boy, it was interesting to ride on it. You you couldn't. Uh, there was a fellow that couldn't get his wheelchair on it so he they had to find another place for him to stay so anyway it was definitely not handicap friendly that old place but yeah anyway uh the the say the boat that we went over on was quite a large boat but the whole thing after you, you went out and it got going and then suddenly you you gradually went up and then the speed went just double the speed almost because you're yeah. you're riding out of the water and there's no resistance yeah. hardly anymore at all. Yeah, all the drag disappears and suddenly you just take off. That's right. Yeah, it's so. pretty interesting to watch. I mean, you can go YouTube videos of of the boats and 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 uh, they really do almost fly now because they're basically That's all right. hydroplanes. You know, they're they're uh, you know not not your dad's World Cup ship, right, or boat. That, <laughs> they, that's uh, right. Well. Well, that's why they actually have to uh, be careful when they conduct these races that they don't have too high of surface winds or, worse yet, gusty winds. Yeah. G gust gusty winds are awful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because it's a f very fine balance of, of keeping the boat basically yeah. aloft and the boat flipping all the way over, which obviously has happened here for the yep. fine crew of the American Magic. So um, <laughs> they did say, by the way, that all the sailors were okay. And that even though the ship was at risk of sinking, it did not. They were able to uh, uh, pull the boat out and ride it, and uh, everybody was all right. So, uh, uh, yeah, which is good news. Yeah, uh, yeah. You never want to see anybody get hurt in those things. Right. But you know, you you notice all those guys are not only wearing life vests but helmets. Um, <laughs> you you get jostled yep. around in those things uh, more than just a little bit. So there's a reason yep. they're wearing helmets. Yeah, well, you know, people think it's really risky to get on a spaceship and go in outer space, but we do a lot of things right down here on the surface that are pretty risky at times, too. Oh, yeah. You know, especially if you're trying to just go go flat out fast, you know. Yeah. That, that, uh, that always entails a certain amount of risk. 
that, yep, that's why yep. like, the guys like the, uh, the fellow that broke the re uh, sound barrier that recently died. I forgot his, his name. Oh I yeah, shouldn't. Um, but Chuck Jaeger. Um, Jaeger. Yeah, yeah. Because I shook the man's hand. I got got to meet him one time. Yeah. And uh, anyway, uh, but but they are really heroes because they when that went out to do that sound barrier, nobody really knew what the uh, reaction was going to be on the on the aircraft itself and yeah. uh, you know there's yeah. always the possibility that a wing goes flying off or whatever yeah, yeah. they don't know that you know when you hit a certain speed if that if if suddenly the air compresses into a solid and your and your airplane crushes and that would yeah. you know there was people who were saying well that's a possibility we don't think it's a high possibility but it, you know there might be a physical limit to how fast you can fly, fly a plane you know they just didn't know um until yeah. they did it so the yeah, first those, those the guys first are, are, are got their neck on the line, you know. Yeah, and the, yeah, those those first guys like that, and guys that you know flew to the moon, and it's like, yeah, we we don't know. Here's what we think, yeah. you know. Yep. Those guys that, that, that tested the the atomic bomb, you know, they 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 kind of thought yeah. they knew what was going to happen, but they really didn't know. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing about uh, some of those airplanes is that uh, I was around early on and. And uh, knew about one of the big issues was that after they dropped the bomb out of an airplane, is mm -hmm. they had to keep the airplane attitude such that the blast, when it went off, was actually not going to uh, have significant aerodynamic effects on the airplane. They actually wanted the 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 blast force to take the airplane uh, and hit it directly on the bottom of the aircraft. So it right. like threw it threw it out in the air, and then they knew they the 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 crew knew they had to do a recovery, so that they can regain their aerodynamic control, and so yeah. the normal thing there is that uh, you don't want it to throw you into the ground. So you've got to be high enough. You can't release a bomb at, at low altitude because you can't get to a high altitude, and therefore you don't have much time to recover. So the yeah. real reason for a high altitude drop in those early days was. Uh, you're at the top of the blast, and it it blows you slightly upward as well as outward. Yeah. And uh, so all of that kind of stuff was calculated uh, uh, to. Uh, yeah, because if it hit the airplane wrong, it'd rip wing wings off. Right. That was that was so you could recover the crew and get your airplane back and uh, and do it again. And but uh, you know that that's mm -hmm. a big risky too. <laughs> oh yeah, the guys on that airplane were like, um, we may not be coming home. You know, yeah. well, we've practiced and, and, this routine. This is what's supposed to happen. Let's let's hope that's what actually happens. And, and of course, all of the people involved in any kind of a nuclear weapon uh, had radiation effects to worry about, too. Uh, I was even in a position one time where I wore a radiation badge and then they would test that every once in a while. Every week we'd check it in and get another one. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then they would analyze the badges that were turned in to see how much exposure you had. And there, there were a couple kinds of radiation to be concerned about. Long-term mm -hmm. radiation was one of them, and that's what this was really all about. Mine wasn't, yeah. uh, I, I supposedly wasn't exposed to, to high, what they called high-level radiation, because that, that can yeah. you know, fry your brain. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that can take you out of, put you out of commission and, pretty quickly. Yeah, and and another was one was radiation pulse, which was just a nanosecond pulse, but still it was a very high pulse, and that that had different uh, effects, and so uh, 
you know, they tried to learn from uh, all these people involved with stuff as much as they could about how radiation affected people or different people, you know, like the, the virus, you, who knows, it may affect them differently, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's the, the scariest part of it, right? Is, is when, when there's uh, um, when you can say, this is what happens then with, with some assurance, then, then at least you know how to deal with it. But if it's like, well, this is what happened with this guy and this is what happened with that guy. And this is what, happened, then you don't know, you know, right. it's like the, like some of the issues with the, um, coronavirus where they're saying you know a couple months after somebody's been affected by the coronavirus people are seeing uh, a variety of different after effects a couple months down the line so it's like you had the, well, they, had the virus you survived and now you've got some weird rashes and some other things happening that people can't quite explain well it's all about your immune system and how it responds because that's what this is yeah. trying to do is to to, yep. to encourage your immune system to develop some new capability and well uh, you're talking about the vaccine i'm talking about just people who have had the virus oh and then and then several yeah, months right. later they're having you know peculiar uh symptoms and they go to their doctor and doctor checks online and says hey other people who have had the virus are having these symptoms too this is weird but some people well, have some, some people have others, some people have none. You know, well, th- we don't this know. is another reason why they're telling people who, who have a vaccine to continue your uh, your uh, masking and separation yeah, your and diligence, stuff. Because right? it takes a while, it takes a while for this uh, immunity to build up. And in fact, it doesn't really build up until you get that second shot. Uh, it should that first one is is a, it sort of slowly enables your immune system to handle the second shot which then really builds on that and and so that's why it's kind of crazy that there are now i understand some places where people have had the first shot and they can't get the vaccine to get the second shot so that's kind of scary because you know they start yeah. over they don't they don't know you know they've yeah. not done well that. and and not um you know each of the two different variants of the vaccine have different waiting periods. One's three weeks and one's four weeks. And so depending on which one you get determines when you come back to get your second shot. You know? yeah. And that's, like you said, that's been part of the issue with, with constraint of availability is is availability for people who are starting to get their second shot because, you know, we're about a month into it now. So some people are coming around wanting their second shot and they're saying, well, we don't have any virus. We don't have any more vaccine to give to you. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's yeah. like, well... Am I half yeah. covered? What does that really mean? And everybody's like, we don't know. We didn't test this because yeah. we were in a rush. Yeah. So, yeah. And I, I don't have the article here right now, but the second type of vaccine to come out, I forgot what the company was, uh, it's called now. Uh, they've, they're starting to have some problems with uh, the, a batch. There was a, a certain batch of their medicines that uh, they're recalling or stopping use on because uh, a number of people had bad reactions. Now, what yeah. they really mean by bad reactions, I don't know, but that was just out on the news this morning. Yeah. Uh, and, and, uh, and I had thought that if I had a choice, I would have chosen that one, you know, because that was presumably going smoother. Than, I, I wish I had the names of the two, but... I uh, one's Pfizer, one's Moderna. Okay, Moderna is the recent one that I'm talking about. That, that it, yeah, it now. was the one that was approved about two weeks later. Yeah, uh, so uh, 
both of them, I guess, now have problems for, for certain uh, people. Or well, I'm not sure yet what what's the problem with the Moderna, or it was just a bad batch, kind of what they're assuming yeah. at this point. Yeah. That's the thing is we don't know we were, we you know we we did limited testing as much as we could but they wanted to get this out as quick as they could which by its very nature means there's some additional risks and um, yeah but by all accounts thus far there's been a lot of people who have been vaccinated and 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 the uh, you know if if there were indications that it was unsafe then they would be telling everybody okay this is unsafe maybe we shouldn't be doing this or that they would pull that one from the market and say use the other one um, yeah so you know. And there's a third one that's about ready to be approved here in the United States, and there's a fourth one that's already being used in the UK. So there are options and alternatives out there. Uh, a lot of different companies have been, you know, working on the same problem. So, mm-hmm. so the good news is is that hopefully we will have the ability to uh, vaccinate lots of people before too much longer. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Another, speaking of another kind of technology is that I noticed that somebody that uh, says massive amount, massive sum paid for this 1965 Shelby 427 Cobra. Carol Shelby's original uh, Cobra, I guess. Uh, yeah, probably for I think part of it was the provenance, right? It's not just the vehicle, but the provenance because it belonged right. to Carol Shelby personally. Yeah, almost $6 million. Wow. Uh, yeah. You know, even if I were to win the, what, $800 million Mega Millions lotto, I couldn't see spending $6 million on a on a on on an old Mustang or an old, I guess it's not the Mustang, it's the actual Cobra. Right. But even then, yeah. I look at that and go like, yeah, you know, <laughs> I can buy a new car that's probably a lot more comfortable, runs better, and, and uh, well, know, in this yeah. Well, pic- <laughs> in this picture they're showing, and it looks like it's showroom shape. I don't think you know, uh, he ever dro- drove it very much. I wonder what yeah. the mileage because yeah or if he you know, did he they've at least restored it yeah so. but uh yeah that's uh that's a big chunk of change to drop on something that you're probably going to sit in a museum yeah yeah but i do appreciate seeing old cars and original oh, yeah. cars of various varieties uh in yeah. museum that we've been to a number of really wonderful places like yeah. that one in L.A. I went with you on. Remember? What was that? Yeah, the, the, uh, the Peterson Museum is in Los Peterson, Angeles. Yeah. It's uh, at the corner of Wilshire and Fairfax. And yeah, I used that was to work on, on the across the street from there. And, uh, yeah, they, they have a beautiful museum and, and lots of, of uh, really cool cars from lots of different eras and from all over the world. And then they do traveling shows that come through at different times. So um, depending on, you know, because I worked across the street. I would go over when they would have like, you know, a Porsche exposition and have a bunch of old Porsches in there. Or um, uh, uh, one time they had, a, what was it? It was one of those uh, defunct brands now, like DeSoto or something like that. But it was cool just to go in and see the, the, the body work and the detail that was put into cars built in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, you know, and just how the, how the styles and stuff uh, evolved because there was fairly significant changes from year to year at that time, whereas... Nowadays, there's, you know, more yeah. changes in trim and stuff, and bodies don't change more than, you know, once every three to six years. And so, you know, the differentiation in cars was more substantial. I think with the advent of more aerodynamic cars, and I don't mean looking aerodynamic, but actually built in in uh, wind tunnels, right. um, 
there's there's less variation in, in cars right. now because you know we found a shape that's pretty smooth in the wind and that has a pretty profound effect on the um, gas mileage yeah. on the gas that's mileage right. and since that's a major thing you know all the cars have a general look that's very similar yep that's what drove it you know but uh you know for for the design of cars that's that's presented challenges to the people who design cars is how do you make your car look different than the next car even when the shape has got to be fairly similar yeah yeah so i think that one car museum we went to in reno nevada had some connection to the peterson museum too i don't know if it was owned by the same people or what but it was yeah pretty phenomenal too but it's big they're also there. the people who own like motor trend magazine is that right yeah, it's Peterson Publishing. So, anyway, the um, uh, one of the real surprise impressive museums that I went to that had, I think it was uh, serial number three of the Model A Ford. Oh, yeah, wow. It was, was in Minton, Nebraska. Huh. Now, nobody knows where Minton, Nebraska is, right? Other than you know where Nebraska is, you know? <laughs> but it's it's fairly close to a uh, freeway, but not right on one. So it's not a town that's a vacation destination for anybody. But the people that know go to Minton just for this museum. And it's almost most of the town. I mean, it's a small town. There's a little restaurants there, but not much. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's owned by a fellow that grew up there and became a success, I think, in Chicago. I'm not certain of that but made fortunes and he just had this hobby of finding stuff he liked it's not just cars it's but there's a lot of cars uh but a whole bunch of other things and he he bid ridiculous amounts at the sounding at the time but uh he's got some stuff there that's just worth a fortune mm -hmm. uh I, I i honestly thought at the time that i was there as it was uh, not adequately protected for what they have now maybe they have some some uh, uh, well there was a big gate or wall or something around this so they they do have a outer perimeter that's that's pretty good but uh, you'd need more people I, I would think and maybe they were hiding in the lurchers that I didn't know you know all I saw was yeah. the guy at the gate <laughs> you know yeah but anyway uh, it's, a it's like the White House. It looks all empty and nothing's going on. You step one toe over the gate and suddenly the guys come out of the bushes, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, that uh, that was phenomenal as well as I remember there was there was one uh, uh, similar kind of a museum uh, near Tallahassee, Florida, southwest of Tallahassee, or it was I think it was still in the city limits. Diff different than the one in Kansas, obviously, because mm -hmm. of its location. They had a swampy area that was absolutely beautiful with walk uh, ways and stuff to go over that, and a bunch of old-time uh, uh, buildings and uh, uh, how to make uh, various products that were used in the olden days. Uh, turpentine, I remember that. It was how to make turpentine, and uh, wh why it was there, I don't know, but the I think there was the house had something to do with a guy who had mm -hmm. maybe not invented it or some something art or whatever. They used turpentine artists do, you know, still uh, if they paint in oils. But anyway, uh, and just a whole bunch of stuff. It was a zoo that was a part of it. 
Uh, yeah. I mean, you call it a museum, but this was a destination like Disneyland. It, it, you know, you spent a day there, and you said, "Gee, I got to come back tomorrow. I can't get through all this." And it, it was all exciting and interesting. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I was just looking at the um, the uh, Peterson.org is the website for the Peterson Automotive Museum, and they've got a, a, a uh, exhibition. Of course, the place is closed, but they have a ha- when they open back up, they have an exhibition called "The Fall and Rise of the Electric Car." And uh, they've got some cars that uh, electric cars from the early 1900s. Isn't oh yeah, tech- well, the big, yeah, big old lead they acid said, batteries. <laughs> yeah, well, they basically said that you know that that uh, originally the electric cars were proving to be more um, uh, popular in the early, like right around 1900. Uh, electric cars were exceeding both steam and petroleum cars in popularity. They were clean and quiet and reliable. Uh, mm-hmm. But they were also very heavy, very expensive, and required a great deal of time to charge. And then uh, the petroleum industry suddenly started taking off, and they didn't have those drawbacks. And they had, you know, suddenly the the uh, availability of a lot of fuel for uh, gas burning cars. And then they standardized around, you know, the uh, how potent the gas needed to be. And once they did that, then building gas engines became uh, much easier and cheaper. And that's when then the gas-powered cars basically took over, and electric cars just kind of disappeared for a hundred years. Um, yeah. But uh, and it's hard to believe it's like a hundred years, but they've really come back. They still have some of the same limitations, though. They're expensive. They require a lot of yeah. time to charge. So. Yep. You know. But you know, uh, uh, I'm going to mention here. I grew up in a farmhouse in Kansas that had an electric battery system. Uh, where we had, I think, four large cells that were sta- hung from the rafters uh, in the in the basement, uh, so they were hung from a, up the floor above, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, they were charged by a, uh, a generator that sat on the roof because Kansas was windy, and so that thing blew uh-huh. all the time, and it would charge the, a windmill? The, mm-hmm. the batteries, and then at night. Uh, we had six volt lights all around the house, and and uh, uh, I know about the system because I was just old enough at the time to watch my dad, who was replacing mm-hmm. that six volt system with 110, because REA was coming into our area, uh, and they were we were going to be able to connect in about a year, and so in order to prepare for that, Dad tore out a lot of the walls in order to get to the wiring and put in the wiring mm-hmm. for outlets and all that stuff. Uh, and uh, and we no longer use the 6-volt system. But the thing I noticed about the 6-volt light bulbs is they weren't as bright as these lanterns that we had around on the tables, especially mm-hmm. the ones that had the little sacks. The sacks would glow when you... Right. Uh, it was pressure in the can of kerosene that drove them, and uh, the, it, once you lit the things, it would shoot into that sack and contain it and so you had this little two little or maybe three in some lanterns bright bags that Mm -hmm. put out one heck of a light it light the whole room i mean it was amazing whereas a little six six volt wasn't even as bright as one of those bags and that was up in the center of your room of course just like you have with 110 but there was just not enough uh current going through those filaments to uh, make a lot of light uh yeah it's called the mantle 
Mantle. That's the word. Yeah. Thank you. You can still I, buy Coleman I, mantles for Coleman um, uh, lanterns, lanterns yeah. now. And they still run kerosene. I mean, that's what you, yep. you know, kerosene yeah. lanterns. Although you shouldn't be running those in the house. They'll tell you that these days those should be run outside because of ventilation. Yes. Yeah. Well, you only used them at night and usually not for long. And and yeah. you turned them down as low. You didn't use them full on. Uh, right. Because you smell I mean, a lot the of the. Yeah. You know? Well, and these these were homes that were also, you know, had fireplaces to keep you warm. And it's like, you know, having a fire in the house was not an unheard of thing back then. It was just, you know, different standards. And, and quite frankly, the house probably wasn't sealed up as tight as some modern houses are either. So that there was I, more fresh air. Yeah. I was going to say the same thing, because when dad took out the walls, he insulate, re-insulated the whole house, especially the exterior walls, but even some of the interior. Uh, but uh, that was really important because out in Kansas, you'd get down to below zero temperatures usually every winter. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that that was yeah. that was nice to have a toasty house. <laughs> yeah, yeah, something warm to come home to, right? After yeah. working outside all day. But, but the real beauty of the 110 system is while Dad was wiring, he put in lights, uh, he strung wire uh, poles up on the barn and at the house and went from the house out to the barn and from the house out to the garage. So that at the garage, we had electricity as well as at the barn to run our the milkers that he was thinking about for the future. And, mm-hmm. But... Uh, in the garage, it was important because we used a old trouble light that we would hang into a tree, which was just the right location to light our basketball court. <laughs> and we'd play basketball until midnight out there sometimes. Yeah. Uh, hey, I remember that. duplicating that. I remember getting your shop light and hanging it in a tree out in front of the house in New Mexico and, and playing basketball out on the driveway till till finally mom would say, you're making too much noise. The neighbors are going to complain. Let's get in here. Yeah. Well, let me yeah. tell you. That shop light was a whole lot brighter than this trouble light, which was just a hundred watt bulb, you know, that was in the yeah. thing. And that's about all that shop light was. It was a aluminum reflector and a hundred watt bulb. That's, Is that right? That's the light that we had. Yeah, it clamped onto a branch. It came with a like a spring clamp. You just pinched it and okay. stuck it on a branch. Yeah, that's yeah, what it was. Yeah, maybe it was about the same. But yeah. Anyway, hey, it was granted, that, probably a lot smaller area because you probably had more space than we did to play there, but. Uh, yeah. Well, the other thing is we did have a house light so that Dad could switch on by the front door the light that was outside up at the, up in the eve of the of the big house, a two, second story house, and yeah. so that lighted the entire driveway. So if somebody was to come over, you'd have that light on so they could see uh-huh. drive around. There was a enough room to to turn a car in the driveway uh, the, uh-huh. after you got in the driveway a ways. Uh, yeah. It kind of bulbs I out. Will, I, I would bet, too, you know, it's ironic that you, you talk about the 6-volt system. Today, you could probably run that 6-volt system and get more light off of it because of the efficiency of LED lighting. Oh, back absolutely. back then, you were trying to drive a... a uh, filament a, bulb. Uh, a filament bulb, yeah, a, an incandescent bulb, you know, not right. nearly as efficient. Um, and, uh, you know, it's like... If there's an interesting uh, documentary out by, uh, uh, are you familiar with? Because I know Mom watches the HGTV, the the Property Brothers. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so one of the two Property Brothers, uh, in his home in Las Vegas, decided he was going to put up solar on his house, and uh, and he got it put up, and just after he got it installed, then the 
the electro the electric company for this for the state of Las Vegas that has the contract to do all the electricity for the state of Las Vegas pushed for and got legislation to change the rules so that if you own a solar home and you create more electricity than you can use that you give this electricity back into the grid but they don't have to pay you for it so sure so part of the money that he was going to expect he expected to be getting back because that'll help pay for the, the th- you know, that's part of the deal right now is if you put money back, or electricity back into the grid, that the electric company will then pay you for the electricity you've given back to them. Well, yeah. they passed a law saying they didn't have to pay you anymore. And that then cut into his, so he was, you know, he started doing some investigating and, uh, and found out that there's basically been an all-out assault by the electric companies on the installation of home solar and have and they, they have pressured to get and lobbied to get a bunch of laws passed to make home solar really hard and difficult and expensive. In fact, they even in, in, in Nevada passed a rule saying that if you create your own electricity, be it through solar or wind or whatever, if you create your own electricity at home, that any electricity that you buy from them, you have to pay at a higher rate than you would normally pay. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. Man. And he, he was livid. And so he actually went and did it. There's a documentary. He went and did a whole documentary on it, traveled all over the country. Turns out that the electric company that runs all of Nevada, uh, Florida, and uh, and Georgia, uh, there, there's three different electric companies. Their major investor in all three cases was, um, uh, oh, what's his name in Omaha? Um, uh, second rich, the rich guy. Buffett? Yeah, Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett's company, Berkshire Hathaway is the major investor and owner of the uh, more than 50% owner of almost all of these these electric companies and these electric companies are have been lobbying and 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 making donations to political campaigns to get laws that make it almost impossible for you to go generate your own electricity and if you that's, do that's the, scary. then they charge you, know what, you more <clears throat> you know what i thought about the other day with all the uh, uh, wrangling going on with the people in power in tech companies uh, keeping uh, m- messing with people's communications and stuff, uh, mm-hmm. meet social media and whatever, is that we now have what they, back in tw- ni- ni- 1917, the Russians called the bourgeoisie or something like that, or maybe that's a French term, but maybe it's a French resolu- res- revolution. But it all had mm-hmm. to do with the wealthy uh, having too much power over the normal citizen. And yeah, yeah. It, you, you've essentially created a two-class system where there is no middle class. You're either amongst the peons or you're the super wealthy and can do whatever you want. The, the wealthy better get their history books out because they're they're just asking for it is the way it looks yeah. to me. They're getting real arrogant. I mean, these people yeah. don't give a damn. They just yeah. don't give a damn about anybody else. Yeah, you're right, and 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 historically, it's not gone well for the for the the few. The wealthy few end up losing their heads in the long run. Yeah. And I'm not trying to to foment revolution like like uh, like our, <laughs> our president. I'm not telling people to go out and hunt down anybody. Um, I'm just saying that that uh, legally, uh, the 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 many, especially in in countries where where we have laws that say you know that we're governed by the people for the people. Um, that that that'll balance out. That'll come back and bite you, you know. And I know that mm-hmm. they're arrogantly thinking, well, we control what the people think because we give them all. We only give them the information we want them to have. But uh, yeah. uh, you know, no, you you're just controlling That's what not we communicate. The way it works. Not what, 
Yeah, you're, reco- you're controlling how we're communicating, but not how, what we're thinking. And right now we're thinking you guys stink. That's, that's yeah. the problem. You know, it's, it's, yeah, it's, no, I think it's you're really right. Scary. I think that's, that's a good really parallel. Scary because, you know, you, 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 we have to look at history and see what happened before and why did people revolt, you know? And we, we've got too many of the ingredients now, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and honestly, I think, um, you know, I, I don't uh, in any way condone the march on the Capitol, uh, you know, a week ago or a week and a half ago. But, but it's those kinds of feelings that drove those people to do that. It's That's those right. feelings of the big hey. guys are, are running us out of house and home and lying to us right and left, and we are tired of it. And, uh, you know, well, there's other ways to approach that, but... but well, let, uh, let, let me yeah. uh, give, give my explanation as to what went wrong. It has everything to do with the media. The media is not doing their job. They, in fact, became the... Uh, propagandists for one party and and now I'm not saying that this hasn't, hasn't happened in the past but uh, it's uh, never to quite the extent that it's happened now to where they're keeping uh, to, to, total control of what their viewers get to see or whatever uh, and they, they actually leave out a lot of other important information and mislead themselves uh, were misleading a lot on coronavirus because they they thought they could and were the dictators. Uh, the, the, the example set by our governors is just a horrible example of lack of leadership and just total power-hungry, crazy people. Because yeah, well, uh, it it that, drives me batty when they keep touting Cuomo as like this. This amazing leader who 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 handled COVID and that his states had some of the worst numbers anywhere. Oh, absolutely. You know, and, and, and yet they're, they're pounding, you know, they're, they're pounding about, states about, in the South as if they did things horribly, and yet the worst states are the ones that have you know dominant liberal leaders well, in them. And I'm well, not well, I'm not going way right wing on us here because I think that the the white right wing media has been absolutely as bad as the left wing media. I think it happens on both sides. Um, However, the media, um, the media in general has abdicated the, their responsibility as the fourth yeah. estate. They're all and the problem is, is they're all driven by profit motive. And so they're all doing whatever they think will get more viewers and more money and more advertising. And right. so everything is dr- driven by the almighty dollar. Yeah. Well, and I and, think and, that there's certain things that and, should not be driven through a capitalistic system because and, they don't and, work. And they drive what people think. I, I would yeah. actually I would actually rather turn off all television than I would mess with the uh, uh, mm-hmm. decent internet. In- internet yeah. is something that could be much more personal, but yeah. television still has way too much power. Yeah, yeah. Well, and we yeah. talk about the internet as the source of a lot of this, and it is. But there's a lot of people who who get their news from just watching the evening news still. You know, yeah. whether it yeah. be, you know, a cable news network or whether it be a, you know, a regular, uh, you know, ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox over the air there, um, you know, there's just uh, that they're, they're still very strong. You know, it's 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 frustrating, but, you know, even, and I know a lot of people, you included, who have said, I'm going to get off of social media at least for a while. Um, 
I was shocked to see my sister-in-law uh, say she was getting off of social media. What she ended up doing was she said, I'm not, I took it off my phone so that it's not in my face all day long. So if I want to yeah. do something on social media, I have to sit down at my computer. And I have read several different people in the media who have done that, uh, in the tech media in particular, and said that mm -hmm. that solved a big problem for them. Because when it's on their phone and it dings, they just, yeah. it's almost like yeah. automatic. You almost, you almost can't help yourself. You respond, you look at it, and as soon as you right. see it, then you have an emotional response. You have to respond to it. And so if it's not on your phone, it doesn't ding, then you don't do that. You only do it when you want to set aside time to go do it. Yeah. Well, any, anyway, uh, it's uh, it, it's a mess right now, and and I've avoided yeah. this. I don't even really watch the uh, CBS Evening News, which I used to watch because I get so tired of it. You know, yeah. just don't don't want to see it. I used to come in to my room to watch Fox uh, certain pr programs that I record. I've cut out the number of programs that I record, and then I don't watch them. The ones that I do even oh, anymore, yeah. I just fed up with it all uh, mm. I'm, I'm i'm into uh other things uh that take my time as, and as i yeah. in my farewell address to facebook i basically said it's for time i want to claim yeah. reclaim a whole lot of time yeah yeah that's you know? that's actually what aaron was saying when she took it off of her phone too she goes it's such a time suck that you, you yeah. just it's like you don't realize that you know, you look up and you go like, "Oh shoot, I've been having a conversation with idiots for the last hour." Yeah. <laughs> you know? Right, and and, and of course, I'm, anybody you know, <laughs> and none of this is relying on what I say. It doesn't make any difference. Yeah, you know, there's no chance of me making a difference out there on some of these right. Things. None at all. So so none why even join? Why why bother? Yeah, yeah. No, that's been my feeling for a long time. It's you know, I, I have no presence on Facebook and haven't for years. You know, yeah. I, you know, I had an account for a while, but it's been inactive for over a couple of years. I haven't, haven't even never logged into it. I, I went down and, and made it inactive and got off. And, you know, now knowing Facebook and how horrible they are as a company, they've probably reactivated it but, so that they could say that they had another active user because that's the way they work. But I wouldn't know because I don't log in, don't use it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just yuck. Don't like it. Well, never have. But well, yeah, well, when it comes to the, the television news and stuff, you know, it's like I because I do the radio show in the morning, I will scan through like headlines and I'll look at Google News and I'll look at Apple News and see what they brought to the top of the headlines. Um, mm -hmm. But I tend to just see, well, what's the issue? And, and and then pull out, if I can, from anything, you know, a brief synopsis of what the issue is. And then we talk about it on the show. I don't care what anybody's opinions are. I don't care. You know, if they say this guy said that or, or, you know, did this and I don't care what they think the reasoning is. I don't want anybody else's opinions. I just want to know what happened. And that way we can talk a little bit about what happened. And that's that's yeah. as far as I want to go with it, because um, right. too much of too much of what is being passed off as news these days is uh, an editorial opinion. And I don't want any of that. Yeah. Well, I'm mom still got my Facebook on on her iPad. And mm -hmm. uh, thus far, since I got off. She hasn't told me about anything that was worth hearing, but she just goes on and quickly flips through to see if there's any family stuff. And it's so hard yeah. to find anymore. There's so much other crap that you can't find what you're... Yeah, they bury in. it, you know. You want to see a picture of your grandkids, and it's like, you know? yeah, I've got so to I, dig through some... <laughs> so, so that's yeah. the other thing, is is that if you don't care about the politics side, now what, what else is there, you know? 
Now, there's a few of the, the families that are having babies, and, you know, we, we like to kind of know yeah. the, how they're doing and see new sure. pictures because they change fast, you know. And yeah. uh, that, that's about yeah. it. Yeah, you want to so. see pictures of, of, of young kids because, like you said, they grow quick, and you want to, you know, see what's going on with, you know, maybe some a little bit of your extended family in terms of, um, right. uh, you know, how's everybody's health and, and, you know, they staying safe with COVID and that kind of thing. But it's it's all precursory stuff that you don't need to wade through, you know, a slog of of stuff that's designed to, to tick off on emotional responses, which is exactly what it is. It's all set up to get an emotional response so that you will engage and 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 spend time there so that they can market to you. Yeah. Yeah. I just don't like their concept right from the get go. Don't like it, don't like it, don't like it. So And and the other thing is that I I, I see a word here called deprogram that that <laughs> the it just makes me laugh. These arrogant people think that they're going to to change uh half the population's mind about things, you know? That, that's so crazy and and uh, as I told Tobin uh, I don't know I don't think I sent the message to you but the big thing to me about the whole last election is it was an education for me and I found out about a big violation and I don't want to use the word fraud because I don't I don't know that fraud occurred because of it but the fact mm -hmm. is is I know that election laws were changed in just about every state because Give, using the COVID-19 as a way to say, well, we got to have people, uh, we got to mail ballots to them. So lots and lots of changes, uh, including the extension to when the, mm -hmm. the stuff was due and just a whole bunch of rules. Now, it yep. turns out that most of those rules were not made by the legislature. And that's the only thing that matters when it comes to an electoral college uh, uh, election. According to the United States Constitution, Article 2, Section 1, it says the legislature will set up and govern how uh, the state legislatures will set up and govern. It doesn't use these words. I'm paraphrasing. Uh, but it only mentions the legislature. And, in fact, the legislature was intentionally bypassed because they were all Republicans, or mostly, by Democratic governors and judges and whatever who made most of these rules. Now, you could look at that and say, hell, you changed the rules, you got an illegal voting system, therefore, can you count your votes? No, I'd throw out your whole damn electoral vote because you guys didn't uh, do what the legislature told you to do. Each you know? state shall appoint, in such manner as the legislature thereof may direct, a number of electors equal to the whole number of senators and representatives to which the state may be entitled, in Congress, but no senator or representative or person holding an office of trust or profit under the United States shall be appointed, uh, be appointed an elector. That's a, that has to do with what? That is what? Article 2, Section 1, the, the section right. that's relevant regarding. Absolutely. And, 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 in and a manner a, as the legislature thereof may direct. And so it. what you're saying is some of these changes in the election rules were done without the state legislatures? All of them, basically. I, I, you know, there's 50 states. And so that's what the other thing that makes it complicated. How in the hell do you ever challenge such a thing? The Trump people were trying to do it, but they went about it apparently in the wrong way because they kept saying no standing. They didn't even get, uh, you know, that means that they weren't 
in a position. Well, even Trump-appointed judges were telling him, you're, you're not making a case that can be put before a judge. But when you think about it, this is one little rule that the U.S. Constitution levies on all states. Mm -hmm. And that says, if your state is using rules that weren't established by the legislature, then your electors aren't proper. You know? Okay. I, the only question I have with this is, I have not seen or heard that, that I, I know that rules were changed. I don't know that they were not approved by the legislature. I have not read that. So I, I question, that's the only thing I question what you're saying. That, um, that's exactly, you're right. If, if, but I, I do know that didn't happen in Pennsylvania because there that story was, uh, more details of the story came out. It, it was actually bypassed by the Democrats. They, they, uh, apparently made some attempt to get the legislature to do it early on, but then the governor and the judges just took it over and said, hell with it, you know? Mm -hmm. So, uh, and, and, and how the control, how that control and those rules are managed and, and, uh, enforced is the, is the next thing, yeah. you know? Well, who, well it's interesting who, because I've the, heard several people say, well, you know, it's up to the states to decide how they're going to run their elections. But but, you know, it's it's very clear that the Constitution says, but you will run your elections by rules put forth by your legislature. That's right. So if, if you want to know why I think it's corrupt, it's because nobody's following the rules. So, you know, yeah. And OK, well, and the other thing about it being in the United States Constitution, uh, basically what we're saying is that we're all in this together. And if you go back, and I, I sent a, a, a book to Tobin and asked if it, because it has to do with history, uh, right. of, the, of the writer, the Madison's Papers is what it was. Yeah. He, it's a he, um, page volume. Yeah. And he responded and said that that's not as a reliable source for covering that as the um, uh, that's not, use that's of. Not the, what, that's not what the comments below on that book said, if you go to Amazon. Okay, well, I'm just telling you what he said and he felt, and he's a history teacher. That's his opinion, um, was that the using the um, the Federalist and Anti-Federalist papers are a better source for that uh, information on that subject, was his feeling. But, well, they, um, the, but you know, that can be debated and, amongst historians. And from reading a lot of comments, and a couple of them quite lengthy, by people who should sounded like they should know, uh, said that there's none, no details at all like, there were in these papers which had several other people's opinion uh, and it named the representatives from whatever states they were in yeah uh, that argued the yeah. cases why but but fundamentally reasonable sounding from, experts because they agreed with you on amazon with no, no providence as to who they're who they are or what authority they really have no, no let, let me tell you what, what it said about <laughs> well you know what let's art. let's can, can i can i yeah. say something here before we go yeah. further with this let's just yeah. not talk about this right now because this has nothing to do with tech let's talk about something else uh, if we want to go back to, we, we can well, we can have this conversation in another forum but this is supposed to be generation tech and we've gone way off of technology well it's lawyer technology for how do you put together rules <laughs> well, yeah, that's that's kind of a stretch. We already went off of technology in quite a few ways. We were talking about biotechnology and things like that earlier. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I saw something interesting, and I want I'm going to have to watch the video afterwards. It was what happens when you put a massive neodymium magnet next to a mouse, and they they preface it by saying the mouse is okay, but apparently 
a mouse is supposed to be repelled by the magnet. And when you put the magnet down, you can push the mouse around without ever touching the mouse by using a magnet. That's a little freaky. So they feel the field, apparently, they're, because if it's if it's not touching them, they're sensing the field. Yeah, but they're polarized separate than the magnet. Does that mean if you flip the magnet around the other way that they get stuck to the magnet? I don't understand. I didn't. How do you magnetize an animal? <laughs> I just I'm I'm very intrigued by this video that popped up. I'll share the video with you. We'll have to watch it later and we can see what you know. But it's like it just sounds weird. Well, I haven't watched the video. Like did I said. you say they were rats or what? Uh, it's a mouse. A little house mouse, a little brown mouse. So, so um, well, why don't we call it quits? We've been going for an hour and a half today. Um, I know we delved into uh, lots of uh, things around the periphery of technology today, but uh, uh, I will leave our any listeners with, with this thought. Um, investigate for yourself. You know? Yep. Don't, don't trust anything you're hearing from us or from anybody else. Go do a little reading on your own. Um, they document what they did in, in, you know, in government. And so just go check for yourself and see, see what's there. Um, and, and then you can make your own mind up. So use your brain, use your brain. So thanks for joining us. Good talking to you, Todd. Have a good day. You too. Goodbye all. Okay. Bye-bye.